Johannesburg. Welcome back. It's uh, 10.38 on uh, SAFM. So we've spoken, right, from uh, the moment I got here about these victims, these victims of apartheid. And, uh, you know, we we speak on the premise that most of them have passed, but there's some who remain alive. And we're going to have a conversation with uh, one of uh, the victims of apartheid in the form of uh, Father Michael Lapsley, uh, who was an anti-apartheid activist. I will tell you what happened to him now, but I want to give context before we have uh, the conversation with uh, Father Lapsley, because as I said, tributes are continuing to pour in for South Africa's last apartheid president, F.W. Digleg. He died yesterday morning at his home in Fresno in Cape Town at the age of 85. He was diagnosed with mesothelioma cancer earlier last year and, uh, sorry, earlier this year and has died of complications as a result. He spent the last few years of his life having to field questions from wherever he spoke about his role in apartheid atrocities. Let's listen to F.W. Declerc answering a question from a student at the Oxford Union where he was asked about the TRC process. I believe that seeking truth and reconciliation, I have some criticism about our TRC, our Truth and Reconciliation Commission, but I firmly believe that (coughs) if you want to restore peace and have lasting peace and build a successful, peaceful, multicultural society where there has been violent conflict over a long period in the past, and this is true of many countries in Africa. The best way is negotiation, is to find a formula to deal with the truth of the past, to bring concepts like amnesty into that picture. One of the best jobs the Truth and Reconciliation Commission did was their amnesty hearings, where if any perpetrator from whichever side it came made full disclosure and convinced committees that they, were, they did what they did with a political purpose and not with a criminal purpose, then they should be entitled to amnesty. This was the foundational principle of one of the foundational principles of the act which established the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. It was a foundational principle of the Constitution which we negotiated. And one must find a way of closing the book on the past. So I favor that much more than I favor prosecution, putting people in jail or whatever. Of course, if there are absolutely atrocious crimes against humanity, I, in my mind, put it in a different category. In the negotiations, I did not favor the right of amnesty for people who assassinated other people. I did not favor amnesty for people who were killed in a, in a brutally vicious way. I wanted the Norgard principles to be applied, which was applied actually in Namibia, which said you should draw a distinction between political crimes in general and especially vicious crimes against humanity and those especially vicious crimes should not be excused in the same way. So I see a combination as the preferred option, a combination of prosecuting people who are guilty of very vicious crimes 
but giving amnesty to the biggest percentage of those who committed crimes with a political purpose. In our case, even cold-blooded murderers, the ANC insisted on that against my proposals. Even the most predetermined cold-blooded murderers got away with amnesty. Hmm. So, you know, one of those victims uh, of apartheid-era crimes received a letter bomb from uh, the apartheid regime in April of 1990. It's very important that you understand the April of 1990, because in April of 1990, Nelson Mandela was already out of prison. Remember, he got out in February of 1990. And this uh, person received a letter bomb from the apartheid uh, regime in April of 1990, and uh, that letter bomb was hidden inside two religious magazines, right? And what it ultimately did was blow off both of his hands and one of his eyes. In fact, from the other articles I read, it apparently also affected um, one of his ears. And his name, he's alive. He's Father Michael Lapsley, who was an anti-apartheid activist. As I said, he was sent that puzzle bomb by the then apartheid regime under the presidency of F.W. D. Kleck. And he joins me on the line today. He's an anti-apartheid activist. He's an author. He's written a book about it. But I suppose it's a moment to reflect on the time that redefined him. It was fascinating for me to read, uh, Father Lapsley, and good morning and welcome. Uh, that for for three months, uh, was it three or two months after you were bombed, after you lost both your hands, after you lost one of your eyes, after your hearing in one of your ears was affected, you basically were like a child because you could do nothing for yourself. Am I correct? That's true, Katie. For the first four months, I was as hopeless as a newborn baby. Yeah. How do you... Maybe let's track, because it's, it's April of 1990. People think that these atrocities at that point should have stopped. How and when did you go into exile, and why did you go into exile? Because you are a white South African. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you, KG, um, for asking the question. And just for a second, I'm glad you emphasized the significance of the date of my bombing, three months after the release of uh, Nelson Mandela. Um, but yeah, it was in um, 19... I see, originally I, I, I come from New Zealand. That's Aotearoa, New Zealand. That's where I was born. I came to South Africa in 1973. Uh, 1976, I became the national chaplain of Anglican students uh, at the time of the Soweto uprising. And then I was expelled from South Africa in September of uh, 1976. And then I went to live in Lesotho. And it was there that I joined the ANC and I became one of the chaplains of the ANC and spent next 16 years in exile, first in Lesotho, and then in Zimbabwe, and, and then returned to South Africa in 1992. And let's talk about the day the, the letter came. Uh, where were you and what was happening? Well, I just returned from <coughs> a speaking tour of both Canada and Cuba. Um, and came back, and I, I, I was actually about to move to Bulawayo to become a parish priest in a big township parish there. 
And so I'd had a, a hello farewell party. I'd just come back from this tour. I was about to start a new job. Um, and then I returned to my home and uh, began opening accumulated mail that had uh, come whilst I was away. And I came to these uh, envelopes, two religious magazines, as you said, opened them, and they exploded um, at that moment. And you were alone when the explosion happened? I was with somebody else who was on the other side of the room who was um, shocked um, but not injured uh, in any way. But just to say, in that moment, I knew that the apartheid regime had got me. I also knew that I had won and they had lost because it was a bomb that was supposed to kill, and I was alive. Mm. Um, so already I... But also, in terms of my faith, I had a sense that God was with me in that experience. You know, God hadn't stepped in and said, it's a bomb, don't open it. But I had a sense of God's presence with me um, in, in that moment. Yeah, but, uh, you know, notwithstanding your life changed, uh, you have... Uh, you lost two of your hands. Uh, you lost one of your eyes. You lost... Uh, uh, I think, hearing in one of your ears. Uh, describe to me the gravity of the impact of the bomb on your body outside of just your spirit. Well, well, in a way, you've outlined it. Um, you know, try and imagine, KG, for what it would be like for a day to have no hands. Um, you know, we use hands and a million times every day. And I think my participation in the struggle had prepared me for the possibility of death. Um, you know, I was a chaplain in the liberation movement. We went to the graveyard so often. What I had not been prepared for was the possibility of permanent major physical disability. I actually knew another priest, Father John Osmus, who died a while ago, who had received a parcel bomb and lost one hand. But he did everything with the other remaining hand. So somehow losing both hands was not twice as bad. It was 200 times as bad. So I think in a way, uh, KG, in, in some sense, grief becomes a permanent part of my, love, of my life. But I think it's also enabled me to identify with people across the world with their losses and their pain. So it, it's great loss, but also gain uh, as well. Who do you direct your grief uh, towards? Uh, because I know that you went to give evidence at the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and I suppose that's why we played that clip with FW uh, and his thinking around the TRC uh, earlier on before we spoke to you. And, and, and at the TRC, you said you hold FW politically and morally responsible for the, your personal bombing. Yes, and my point about that, KG, was very simple, that um, he was the head of state at the time. The death squads were part of the machinery of the state. Now, part of the difficulty with the clerk is he, he, he remained in denial about his responsibility. Um, but uh, the late Vanzel Slabbert told me some years back, he said, I personally went to the clerk. I told him about the death squads. So it simply cannot be said that he didn't know. Um, and he did nothing to disband them. And that's why I say he carried ultimate political and moral responsibility for my bombing. Often we, you know, we, 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 we um, try and 
bring to account the little guys, but we don't go fully up the chain of command. And and that's a sort of sad irony about his apology, even the last apology beyond the grave. Um, he says, I'm sorry about uh, apartheid and all the pain it, it caused. But he fails to talk about his role um, in the State Security Council, um, and that's particularly relevant to the Crater Four. Um, so, and also, he consistently denied responsibility for the death and the mayhem, the torture that happened uh, on a massive scale on his watch. Yeah, we are in conversation, just in case you just joined us, with uh, Father Michael Lapsley. Uh, he's an anti-apartheid activist uh, who lost the, uh, both his arms and an eye and uh, the uh, uh, partial hearing in one of his ears. And, uh, you know, he says that, uh, you know, uh, F.W.D. Clegg, uh, you know, is uh, too uh, 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 politically and morally responsible for the bombing uh, that he experienced. We're going to continue our conversation with Father Lepsley in a short while. We're going to go to a commercial break. And if you do want to ask Father Lepsley a question, you can call us on 0891-104-207. He went on to write a book, of course. We'll tell you what the book is called when we come back and uh, talk about how he felt uh, about... Um, you know, F.W. de Klerk's, uh lack of uh, accountability. Uh, he didn't take accountability for particularly the death squads and the impact that these had uh, on victims of apartheid. It's 10.51. Here, there, and everywhere. Yeah. SAFM. 106.2 FM. In Tohoyando. We've been in conversation with, uh, welcome back, with uh, Father Michael Lapsley, who's an anti-apartheid activist uh, who was sent a parcel bomb by the then apartheid regime under uh, the president, F, uh, the now late uh, last president of apartheid, uh, F.W. de Klerk. And that parcel bomb uh, that reached Father Lapsley's hands uh, when he still had hands, because he lost the use of both his hands. Uh, he lost his hands. Let me, let me, let me, let me clarify that. He lost his hands. He lost his eye and he lost uh, part, part use of one of his ears. It was delivered to him in April of 1990. Uh, Lebuhang in Springs, you have a question for Father Lepsley? Lebuhang, good morning. No, Lebuhang is not there. I wanted to ask the question about your grief, uh, uh, Father Lepsley. Uh, where do you place it when uh, you're sad, when you think about your hands, uh, when you think about your eye? Where do you place your grief at? Well, you know, Kiki, I think the um, if you lose a loved one, um, grief is, becomes a permanent part of your life. Part of you never stops grieving. You get on with your life, but mm. it's still lost. And losing your limbs is like that. It's, you're losing part part of, you know, who you are. Um, so that remains a, a dimension of my life. Um, but I think I've been able to transform my grief into empathy for the losses of others, and that's part of the inspiration for the Institute for Healing of Memories. Because what happened for, uh, in my case was that people across the world accompanied me on my journey of healing. Mm. 
Mm. Um, and so I discovered a calling to accompany others on their journey of healings to create what I like to call safe and sacred spaces where people can tell each other their stories and find ways of coughing out, vomiting out the poison inside them because of what what has happened to them. Yeah. So I, I, I haven't remained fixated on the clerk and his responsibility. It's been much more important for me to live my life as fully, as joyfully, as completely as possible. And that is my victory. At the yeah. time of his death, I, I, you know, I'm sad that he's died. I'm sad for his family. But I'm sad that he was never able to take responsibility for his his part in the death and the dying of, of, of so many South Africans. Yeah. Lebo Hangen Springs uh, wants to ask you a question. Good morning, Lebo. Welcome. Uh, morning, KG. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thank you. Can I ask um, Father two questions? Father, when you are an activist, I know and I understand I was born in 1980. I saw some of the atrocities that were uh, delivered by apartheid. But is it fair for one to say that during that time, apartheid was on one hand doing something, and we as the victims as well, we were defending ourselves with doing something. Because why am I saying so? Father, you are an activist, and uh, when everyone went abroad, they were a threat to the government. The second question is that, Father, as you, when you stand on the pulpit, uh, is it not fair to say that when the Israelites were freed from Egypt, the king was hardened by God. His heart was hardened by God to refuse. So we, can we say in, uh, in the whole context that F.W.D. Clark was there to serve a purpose? Okay, thank you, thank you, Lebu. Because uh, can can we allow uh, uh, the Father Lepsley to respond? Because he has to go. Do you want to respond uh, quickly before Katie, you have to go? What you are, what you understanding of the question? What's he, what's he asking? I'm not quite clear the point he's making. <laughs> uh, I think that the second part of the question is clearly, I suppose, a religious one. Uh, but I think uh, the first part of the question, because he says he was born in the 80s, uh, the first part of the question, uh, it's almost an implication that there were, if I'm understanding him correctly, there were good parts to the experiences that he had and people inside also fought, not only people outside, if I understood him correctly. Yeah, totally, totally. I think we all sacrifice and I don't think we should try and put scales and say this group sacrificed more than the others. We as a people of South Africa, whether inside or outside the country, sacrificed. But in terms of theology, let's be clear, um, it was not God who sent me a letter bomb. It was not God's will that I, I, I received a letter bomb. It, it, it was a decision that was made by, by human beings. Yeah. Um, but God has helped me to make a life-giving response because I realized that if I was filled with hatred and bitterness and desire for revenge, that I would be a victim forever. They would have failed to kill the body, but they would have killed the soul. Yeah. So I've been enabled to make a life-giving response, and now I seek to walk beside others in the Institute for Healing of Memories uh, on that journey because it's a journey that we, we as a wounded nation, many of us still need to travel. Yeah. Wait, wait, what is the name of the book that you wrote detailing your experience and were uh, you b- before because i know i have to let you go were you triggered at all yesterday were you when the news got to you 
right, of his passing. What was your okay, two first... Things, or two things, for, KG. One is the book is called Redeeming the Past. Redeem, yeah. Redeeming the Past, My Journey from Freedom Fighter to Healer, published by Strake uh-huh. um, in, in South Africa. And so it's still available. And it speaks of my journey, but also the work of healing of memories across the world. Uh-huh. But I wasn't so much triggered, but, but I suppose it was that sadness, sadness for him that he died, but sadness that there was never a proper reckoning mm. of of his role, uh, and, and still dying with denial of the things that he did know. And my great sadness for, particularly for the Craddock Four and other other families who have never been able to um, have the kind of accountability that they need, and which the clerk played played a role. Thank you for allowing us time and space into your schedule, uh, Father Lepsley. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Father Michael Lepsley uh, is an anti-apartheid activist and author who details uh, the story and uh, focuses his life's work now on helping others who've gone through similar or different uh, yet similar experiences around the world and helping them towards uh, healing, towards finding the healing uh, that he found for himself. Like I said, contextually, the letter bomb that he got, he got in April of 1990, about two months after Nelson Mandela had 